How are we doing? We doing well? Good. Good? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to continue in the series. We're, we're in week three uh, of what we call Advent. Advent is a word um, that, that means coming, o- arrival. It's, it's a, a season where uh, instead of just arriving on Christmas Day, December 25th, and uh, for the first time thinking about Jesus arriving in our world, it's, it's four to five weeks before that where we story where we consider uh, the weight of that, the meaning of it uh, as a church and, and as followers of Jesus. And we're doing an interesting approach to uh, studying that. We are in Matthew chapter 1, which if you, if you uh, need a Bible, there's Bibles under the seats. But that is the first book in the New Testament. There's the Old Testament and the New. And Matthew is um, the first Uh, book of the gospel here in the New Testament in chapter 1 starts with a list of names and that's where we're at. But I want to draw our attention to the the title of the series called A Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. Um, We just sang, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. The night of our dear Savior's birth to think and and partner on these words. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appears and held its worth. And here's our line. Of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What I love about this line is the idea of a thrill of hope. It's this idea that it's this, this emotion, this realization of a promise fulfilled. It's, it's, it's like it overtakes you. It, it moves you. It's a hope that overcomes a lot of, of, of challenge. And you have, it's, it's a hope that's been long waited for. And at, at Christmas, we have the scenes of of Jesus in a manger. We have Luke 2 that we also often read, which tells of the excitement and the joy and the thrill of hope. But the beauty of the Advent season is that we can also sit in that idea, that second part of the line, a weary world. What, what's been coming to my mind as I think about this is it's hard to understand true hope without realizing what hopelessness is like. Right? Without understanding the, the reason that hope is needed. And that's where we find ourselves in today's passage. That the moment when all hope fell. So let's go to Matthew chapter 1. And Drew has preached the first, two, first 10 verses. I'm going to start in verse 11 and just be ready. It's a lot of just um, crazy names. This is a so this is a list of names, a family line. And so we are walking through the significance of what this means. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Um, if I was highlighting or circling, I would circle deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, 
and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Okay, there's some names we recognize, right? Um, the uh, husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're just joining us, you're kind of like, what? It's Christmas series, and you just read these obscure names. But as we recap, we are realizing that the, the author, Matthew, started the, the New Testament with this genealogy, the weight that it would have meant, and it means to us, to see that Jesus came to fulfill the promises that God had made. Jesus comes from the line of David, that he is the king that was promised, that his lineage traced back to David. That's what this whole list is, is, is screaming and pointing out to us, that, that God has, has made a way for his promise of the kingdom of David to last forever. And, and that's what Drew started this series kind of helping us see is Christmas is all about God keeping his promises. And so we, break the, we broke up kind of this whole um, 1 through 11 or 1 through 16 verses in three parts. The first part is a promise God made to Abraham. He would bless all nations. That all nations would be blessed. That the promise of God to, to make a way of restoration isn't just for the Jewish people, but the whole world. And then at we second part is, is that God would establish the king of David forever, that a king would come to set things right. And I don't think they fully understood what that meant um, until Christ was able to come into the scene. And today, we have an interesting list of names. And as I said, let's highlight Babylonian exile. This is the promise that God would come and it's a promise that the prophets would proclaim in some of the darkest moments of Israel's history. So far, this list has given us a list of names only. It's the father of, the father of. But now to a specified like date in history, a specified event moment. And so we've got to ask, why is that mentioned? Why is that important? And I would say that the deportation to Babylon, I'm also going to just call that the exile. The, the Babylonian exile was one of the most shaping moments in the history of the Israelites' story. That the climax of the Old Testament and a recurring theme throughout the biblical worldview uh, narrative is exile. While this is one of the most significant moments I don't think it gets talked about as often as, as it should, but these were dark days. We're going to sit in that for a moment. We find the Israelites far from the glory days of David and Solomon, from the building of the temple. The trajectory of kings that continued uh, down the line of David were a train wreck. They continued 
to be a wicked ruler after wicked ruler. Drew, Drew preached on that last week. Go back and hear, hear that message. He shared that, that, that throughout there were some good kings that would try to point the people back to the ways of God. Overall, it was an overwhelming just rebellion against God, ignoring God's warnings to turn and follow Him, that His presence is really everything that they need. Worst of all, but the Babylonian exile, which was literally the nation of Babylon, the world power of Babylon, coming and taking Israel, removing them out of their land, destroying their temple, just stealing the, the, the jewels out of their own. Like, they besieged Jerusalem. Worst of all, the promise was at a threat. This promise that the line of David would be forever. Because what often happened in, in those days was, if you wanted to kill the line of a king, you would kill the king, and then you would kill all of his sons. I mean, talk about a moment of vulnerability. The entire nation is now bringing, uh, being brought out in exile, and God is allowing it. So how is God going to fulfill his promise when all hope seemed lost? Let's read this scene, 2 Kings 25, 1-12. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but this is just so helpful for us to sit in this moment. Imagine being a person of Israel and this scene happening. It says, And in the ninth year of his reign, and in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all of his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Zedekiah would be the last king to rule. He, um, on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. And then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon of, at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah. There's that that threat. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord in the king's house, in all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the wall around Jerusalem and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. There's our word exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. I know I just read a lot, but... Man, what a, what a significant moment. This was, this was the people of God. This was the nation of Israel. This was once a, a great nation. What has happened? 
Listen to the, to the words of, of lament, lamentations uh, in Lamentations as, as the, the prophet um, talks about just the uh, poetically what has happened. He says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who is great among the nations. She who has a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become enemies. Here's where I, I just want us to, 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 to think about and to get is this is this moment where, I don't know, have you had a, ever had a dying dream? Just, you just realize that a dream, a promise just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. This is a moment that the people of Israel, their hope felt like it was gone. And, and some of the questions during the season that they ask is, will he come for us? Is God faithful? How did we get there? Is God true? Will he end our exile? See, these questions aren't so far from questions we've probably asked our own selves in moments of pain, in, in moments of walking in this world. And so I want to give us, this is where we're going. This is my overarching point, is that real hope and peace is found in King Jesus. And the way we're going to get to three points that I want us to consider is, point number one, our sin in exile. Point number two, in exile, we long for freedom. And point number three, Real freedom brings real hope. See, point number one, sin leads to exile. What happened? What brought them to this place? They failed to see over and over and over again was that wickedness of their hearts, that rebellion to a God who offered grace after grace, who called them to follow him, and they would follow idols. They, they would follow the, the gods of other nations, um, they would just perform this selfish acts. And what we see specifically in our list of names is Jeconiah. Um, one of the first names in that list of names that we don't recognize. He's the, the first name in that genealogy this week. And he goes also by the name Jehoiakim. Um, and we find him in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 24, which is a chapter right before the, the exile we just we read through. And uh, he's the, the grandson of Josiah, who, like I said, was a, a good king who pointed the people to follow God. But unfortunately, the way he's described is a wicked king. It says in 2 Kings 24, talking about Jeconiah, who again is also named Jehoiachin, uh, it says, was 18 years old when he became And he reigned three months. Talk about a long time. <laughs> Three-month reign. Um, in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Neshushta, the daughter, um, I'm not pronouncing these names very well, Elnathan El of Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is something we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's not a description we want to have said about ourselves, our legacy. 
The whole story builds to this climax where they struggle to cling to the promises of God. They feel distant. And the Bible tells us from the very beginning that our true home is in the presence of God. That our true place where we can be at most peace is in the presence of our Creator. And from the beginning of the story, I, can't, I don't have the time to go through it all this morning, but at the beginning of the, the first book of the Bible in Genesis, there's this moment where God creates the whole world. He creates mankind to be in His image and to be with Him. And in Genesis 3, there's this, this temptation and this, this desire where, where Adam and Eve decide, I am going to try to be a God myself. I'm going to believe the lie that I don't need God to be at peace. Decision to, to eat the fruit that God said not to eat led to the sin that now has broken our world, that we all are guilty of. And from that first scene, if we, if we think about Genesis 3, it describes it like this. It, it was exile. This isn't uh, our scene that we read this morning. is isn't the first exile. Genesis 3 at the very beginning is the first time that we were brought out of our true home, which is in the presence of God. It says in verse 23 of Genesis 3, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the men, and at the least of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. You see, God is loving, but He is also just. And because He's just, He has to judge our sin, of our rebellion against Him, of our wayward way. And so we see this, this exile out of the garden, this separation. But from that moment forward, He was always providing a way to be with Him a way for us to be forgiven, a way for us to be set free from this bondage of sin. And that's what Christmas is all about. It reminds us that, that God has made a way for us to be home in His presence once again. That Christ came into the world not just to restore an earthly king, to restore them back to the promise, but to do something deeper. To do something with the heart of men to, 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 to bring peace to our, our sinfulness and our, our wayward way. You see, it's a weary world because of our sin. And too often we look at the brokenness and the pain and we try to explain it away by anything but sin. We try to explain it away that it just happens and we have to just navigate through and be optimistic. But the truth is we're all way too guilty. We're all... We all look over our rebellion and the consequences of turning away from God. So I want us to see this morning that we can't understand hope until we grasp our hopeless estate. That our sin has led us to exile, to separation from God, to this feeling that the world is, is not right and we were created for something greater. That we have a purpose Sin enslaves us, and this is our true need for freedom. Point number two. In exile, we long for freedom. Um, as I think about Christmas, I love this season. 
unashamedly. I, I enjoy it. My family and I, um, I have two little girls. We have really enjoyed driving around, trying to look at the Christmas lights and the excitement that we, you know, when we drive through the neighborhood and we see um, people that go all out, like crazy all out with the blow up stuff and the lights. Um, we have fun. We've, like I said, been watching the Grinch and enjoying everything that this season has, the parties and the lights. And, and overall, I've been thinking it's a time where it seems like culturally we all agree to be more hopeful for a, a season. That it seems like collectively as a culture, we agree to, to give more, to um, have more um, time together, be more caring, to enjoy the Christmas season. You look at that in our city, there's uh, all kinds of things downtown right now to go and, and participate as a city together. But here's the, the harsh reality, is that the season of Christmas always has an end to it. <laughs> that, um, yeah, me and my wife, we, we put the Christmas tree up as early as we could, you know, in, in November. But there's this moment that's going to come where we're going to take down the lights and we're going to take down the tree. And uh, the Christmas decorations aren't going to be around Fishtown anymore. And there's the reality that that winter is going to kick in really hard. <laughs> um, and January can be one of the most difficult months. It can be a lonely month for many. A lot of reality and pain and brokenness and fears. The things that we're dealing with that we may be tucked aside for a moment to celebrate a season, they're all still there. They're all still there. We can't rid ourselves of the pain that this weary world brings. We can't hope in a Christmas season alone to rid of that. Like for, and for of us, if we're honest, Christmas actually is some of the most difficult time of the year. Like, on the other side of that, some may enjoy it. Some, it, it brings out what we've been trying to avoid the whole rest of the year. The tension of, of hurtful relationships, the reality of finances, uh, and, and trying to um, give, but, but looking at the reality of our bank account, of the reminder of a lost loved one, etc. So, when we talk about the real reason for Christmas and the season, it's not just in how much we can celebrate for a moment, but it's something deeper, that the birth of Christ declares a rescue, that the birth of Christ declares a king that is present for us today and is returning, a hope that we can really cling to. And so as we ask ourselves, what were the Israelites what was their hope in? So, so they go into exile, and it's 70 years. 70 years out of your home, longing just to be back. And actually says they returned home. That they, the Assyrians took over control of, of Babylon, and now they were let, uh, able to go back into their, their home. But the interesting thing is it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. They go on to, to rebuild the temple and to erect the walls of Jerusalem over time. But it was this feeling of being in your home, but not really at home. It was this return, but still longing for something more. You see, and, and I think they, they tried to, again, repair this longing, this desire for freedom, with the wrong things. Maybe it's a better king that's going to come and our nation's going to be restored back to 
success and, and we're going to be a, a power nation. The temple is going to be rebuilt. But they didn't truly grasp what they were enslaved to. They didn't truly just face the reality that, that it was their heart. You see, what I want us to think about today is hope is only as strong as what we place it in. What or who you place your trust in, like, it really matters. It really matters. So I ask you today, do you believe that Jesus is the solution to the lack of peace and hope and the longing in your life that you're trying to, to fill and, and trying to, to find in other things in other ways? Like, we all have a solution to our exile. Things that are the opposite of what we're experiencing, that we think if we can have it, we'll be at peace. You know, things may be relieved for a moment, but we find that it never really truly satisfies the deepest longing of our heart, which again is to be in the presence of God. Our self-centeredness and our self-reliance causes us to build homes in places that aren't best for us. And we live in one of the biggest cities on the East Coast. It has everything to offer and all the people you could think of around us, everything you could ever dream of. But we still find ourselves lonely and broken and, and messy. See, are we seeking the right freedom? We think we know what will set us free. If I can get the right financial freedom, I'll be good. I'll have peace. I'll be able to keep up with everything that I know I want to do. If I can get freedom from, from this singleness and find the right person and have a, a lasting relationship that will just bring me peace the rest of my life, then I'll be good. If I can get freedom from my loneliness and, and more friends and, and find a way to just find a community. You see, these aren't bad things. But we find that they don't, again satisfy what God only can. The solution to all of our problem and our exile is Jesus. Do you believe that? Your freedom and peace can truly be found in the person of Jesus, the work, the life of our King, that He sets us free when we place our hope in Him. You see, sin leads us to exile but repentance and trust in Jesus alone sets us free. That brings us to our last point. Real freedom brings real hope. Um, I love that the Old Testament, when I say love, I, like it, it is um, so helpful that the Bible's real. Not, not, I mean, it is real in the sense that that it is a real story found in history, that there's evidence that it is truth, that it is um, authoritative, that we can rely on it, but it is also just real to our humanity. That it's not a book that we read and we just like see these perfect people that are untouchable and we can't relate, but the Bible is so real of a mess and failure that we too can relate to. And I love that the Old Testament ends with such despair and looming questions because we also feel that. Will the throne of David last forever? And I also love that the New Testament from page one addresses it. From page one, it says immediately 
he brings the good news that through the line of David, that Jesus would rescue us from exile. That this genealogy that we just read with the strange names promises that our king is here. That the promised son of Abraham and David has arrived. Matthew 1. Um, actually, I, I want to take us here real quick. I know we're uh, short on time. So 2 Kings 25 talks about Jeconiah. And I, I won't read it just for, for sake of time. Jeconiah, we read about him. He's that evil king. He ruled for three months. We saw that Zedekiah, the other king, he was, um, his sons were killed. And, and you're kind of like, how did the, the line of David like last through that exile? And the end of the, the, the book of 2 Kings ends describing Jeconiah being brought out of the Babylonian prison. And the king at that time, it says his name was Evil Merodach, king of Babylon. He began to reign and he graciously freed Jeconiah, king of Judah, from prison. You're like, okay, there's all this despair. And then you get this, this strange like last detail that the king of Babylon is gracious to Jeconiah. He pulls him out from prison. And then it says he puts, him in, uh, he puts off his prison garments. And every day of his life, he's dined regularly at the king's table. And for allowance, a regular allowance was given by the king according to his daily need as long as he lived. See, God is preserving that promise that God is faithful even when we're not. And there's this gracious moment where the line of David is preserved. You can actually go, I have a picture up here um, in the, um, those that are archaeologists, they found in the early 1900s a tablet in Babylon that has Jeconiah, it's Jehoiachin, which is the same name. It has his name on it, King of Judah. And, and it, it lists the year, and it's, it's a ration tablet. And so you have this moment where this name we just read about um, is, is even like provided evidence of that this was his experience, that he was given grace. You see, God is faithful to keep his promise. I love the um, song that we're going to end with today. It's, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the line, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appeared. See, Jesus came into the world, into the scene that G Drew is going to talk about next week. We're going to sit in the this, this scene of Jesus being born. Came into the world to live a life that would be... He, he came into our exile. He came into our brokenness. He walked among us. His name is Emmanuel. And he would one day... torturous cross, what I, what I think is even more humble than Jesus arriving, a king of the world arriving in a lowly manger, is that he would walk to a death on a cross for us. He would pay the price of our sin so that we could be set free. And he wouldn't stay dead. He'd rise again from the dead so that he can return one day for us. And so we have this idea, this already not yet, that the promise of God for us is that he is with us, that if we place our trust in Jesus, if we confess our sin and we turn to him, that he is with us every weary day in this world. 
that he actually gives us joy, sets us free from sin, and we can find joy in this life. But what we also know is it is still filled with pain and challenge, but we look forward to and we anticipate his return when he completely defeats our enemy and Satan, and he restores things back to the way it was always meant to be. And so at Christmas we sit in both, that our King came and our King is coming. The last thing I'll share here is 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, I won't read it all, but, but read this later on, maybe during your week as you sit in the season. It is 1 Peter addressing a group of believers as exiles. And the strange thing is the, the people he's addressing, they're not really exiles. They're in their homeland. But what he's describing, this idea of, of being in an exile, actually takes on this, this spiritual sense. That he's ex- explaining that though we are in this world, we're citizens of heaven. That, that we walk in, in this earthly life longing for our union with our King one day. And that the, the weight of glory that we will experience with Him in heaven is far greater than the trials and the pain that we face today. So I'll end with, with just reminding us real hope and peace is found in King Jesus. Our sin leads us to exile. We long for freedom. And Jesus brings us that true hope and freedom today. I would love to talk to anyone that has questions about what does it look like to place my trust in this this King Jesus that has arrived. Feel free to um, talk to me after the service. Uh, But for us that uh, have placed our faith in Jesus, man, I hope this is is a hopeful reminder that, that Jesus arriving on the scene in his birth was long awaited for. That he has set us free from the exile that we all experience and that um, hopefully it makes sense to our pain and our struggle, but to know that he's with us. I love that the book of Matthew starts with Jesus arriving and then the last verse says, it's Jesus leaving the earth saying, I'm with you always. This is what we were always made for. That's exactly what he longs for us to experience in Jesus. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to have this, this, this truth, the Bible before us, to, to be able to look at, at history and see that you have been making a way for us to know you, for us to be forgiven of our sin, for us to find peace that only you can provide. Thank you that we can stand upon this truth even in the face of of challenge and difficulty and weariness, that, that you're with us, that your spirit guides us each day, and, and that we have an even greater hope to look forward to in your return. May you strengthen us here in this moment for, for each of us. I don't know what each of us are going through. I don't know um, how weary the day might feel, uh, but God, may we bring ourselves before you and trust that you... Um, love us and will minister to us and and come alongside us. You are so good. It's your name. It's your glory. Amen.